Let's talk to our faithful God, church. Let you guys have a seat. Well, howdy. So glad you guys are here with us. Can we just, uh, just give a shout out to those watching online too? We love you guys and are so thankful for those who are with us and so excited about you being here with us today. We're, we're continuing in a series called After God's Own Heart. What a powerful time of worship that we got to experience together and having communion together and just giving together today for a common purpose and cause as we want to be the kind of people that are like David as we're studying his life after God's own heart. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're kind of trekking along, looking at David's life story. But before we get into the text today, I want to open up this morning with you by playing a little bit of a game show with you for a few minutes. I loved game shows when I was a kid, and I still kind of like them today. And so I want to try a little game show time with you, okay? So we're going to play a game called Name That Duo, okay? So in every good game show, at the beginning of the show, Everybody kind of says on one, two, three. I want you to say it with me. One, two, three. Name that dude. That was, that was all right, all right? And you can do a little better. In your better game show host voice. Are you ready? One, two, three. Name that duo. That was good. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up some famous duos that are going to come up on the screen. And uh, you don't have to raise your hand. You just... If you know who they are, and you should on many of these, just shout them out, and, uh, and, and who knows, there may be some kind of prize at the end. Uh, there might be. I don't know. All right? And, uh, and so let's start off. We'll start off a little bit easy, and uh, hope that you can get this one here. Let's bring up the first duo. We have, say it with me. I mean, you can't think of Batman without Robin, okay? So everybody gets that one, I'm sure. Let's begin to kind of progress. We have next, and name that duo, we have... Woody and Buzz, of course, best buddies there, right? And you have Woody and Buzz. Everybody probably got that one. Let's start moving along here. All right, gonna check your generation. Laverne and Shirley. All right, now everybody in the first service, they all got that one. All right, what does that say? Okay, uh, let's try next. We bring up the next one. Oh, tougher one. Let's. Who are the nerds in the group here today? All right, you've got Frodo and Sam. And uh, next, let's try the next one here. Justin and Jimmy. First service didn't get that one. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, keep going here. Who do we have next? Yes. And I went old school, okay? I'm not bringing the new school Starsky and Hutch in, but here we go. Starsky and Hutch, we have next. We have, try this one out here. That's a famous duo. It's not Dumb and Dumber. That's the name of the movie. Lloyd and Harry, there we go, okay. All right, keep moving along. This one gets a little more challenging. Yes, they are the Muppets, but who are they? This was tough. Got it, yes. Stadler and Waldorf. Now, this next one is probably the most famous. Let's see if you get this one. All right, who do we have? There. This day at the old building, Randy and I both shared up, showed up wearing sweater vest, gray pants, black shoes. I retired my sweater vest that day. It was it. I like to tell him unless there's a narrow cold front coming in, that's the only time I wear that. Now go back to the Muppets though. Go back, go back to Bart and Randy. There's some similarities, wouldn't you agree? The staff, they call us the grumpy old Muppets. 
okay? Because we are the old guys on staff. So funny, all right? So how many of you, you got every one of them right? Raise your hands. Anybody? Okay, for the most part. There was only one lady in the last service got every one of them right. And uh, that's, that's, here's the deal. You win today absolutely nothing, all right? And, and you just got to play. Let's just give them a round of applause for whoever got all of those. Maybe you need to get a life. I don't know. But, uh, but, but most likely, you got a lot of these. And when you think of one, you often think of the other. I mean, you don't think of Starsky without Hutch, right? I mean, they're, they're, you think of these duos together. You think of friendship, and, and, and maybe every one of them in some kind of way or one of those, when you think about them, they might make you smile a little bit because you think of this virtue that we really, we really love is this idea of true friendship. What does that look like? And it's something that we regard very highly and it's something that's regarded even highly within our culture. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? We live in a generation that has the capacity to be more connected with more people than any other generation throughout the world's history. And yet, those who are experts in the areas of society and culture would say that this particular thing is is becoming epidemic, and you probably know what I'm going to say, loneliness. Is that even though people have the ability to be connected technologically, by the way, there was a survey that was done, and they kind of looked at generations, and this was fascinating to me, because the loneliest generation, according to the surveying that they did, right now the loneliest generation was what is called Gen Z, and that is the 18 to 22-year-olds, that's the that's the group that my daughter's in. And yet, who knows how to work technology better than anybody? It's that generation. Do you know who's next in loneliness factor? It's the millennials, who is the generation before me, okay? Those who are in that 23 to 37-year-old. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not just saying today, and the studies aren't just saying that it's only those generations that are dealing with loneliness, but I think it makes a strong point to the fact that just because we have the technology that is available today does not necessarily mean that you are going to have fulfilling relationships. You can have those, but it's not a guarantee. I know this, that there are, there are scores of lonely people who are in Gen X. That's my that's my generation. There are lonely people who are boomers. There are lonely who are builders. It doesn't matter what generation. This isn't a generation issue. This is a people issue. Is that there are people who are struggling with, with loneliness. And in fact, I, I, I would be able to take this to the bank. You could write this down. You're not alone in feeling lonely if that's you today. There are people who are struggling with loneliness. A few years ago, there was a newspaper columnist named Marla Paul, and she published a column which she revealed her frustration with the lack of friendships that she has in her life. And she wrote this. She said, how did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? She goes on and says, I think there are women out there who don't know how lonely that they they really are. It's easy to fill up the day with work and family, but no matter how much I enjoy my job, she says, and I love my husband, I love my children, she said this, and maybe some of you can relate to this, ladies, I still often feel lonely. This is what she said. Now, there was such an outpouring of, 
of women who responded back to her article. Many of them wrote emails in and said some of the same things of having that exact same experience, whether they were, some were, were highly educated, were, were professors at universities, some were housewives, some were, were executives, some, it didn't matter that whatever they were doing, but there was this common theme of feeling that, that tendency towards loneliness. And I, I want you to know that, 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 that there are a lot of women who feel that way. By the way, I want to interject something that we have a great women's gathering that's going to be happening next Saturday. And ladies, if you have struggled with that or you are struggling with this, then this is a great opportunity for you to, for you to take a step of faith and maybe get plugged in and get closer to Jesus that weekend and also get closer to a group of women who are in our church as we also partner with another church down the road here in this IF gathering. You can sign up for that. But I do know this as well. This isn't just a generational problem. It's not a problem only that women struggle with. There are many men who are in this church or in our community that also struggle in having friendships and relationships and, and maintaining that. And, and there are a number of different reasons, I think, that some of us struggle with this. Why? Well, friendships are hard. Friendships can be messy. Amen? Relationships can be incredibly difficult. We have to take risks and make ourselves vulnerable to one another. And sometimes friendships can be really painful. And so as a result of this, many of us will live in fear and we've been burned. We don't want to get burned again, so we'll maybe be fearful. Not to mention the fact that everybody here, let's face it, is very busy, right? And so friendships take time. It's a difficult thing to maintain. And I've, I've shared very transparently before that I, I want you to know that my friendships and my relationships are not flawless. I've shared with our church before that I've had some failed friendships. I've had some that I was responsible for blowing it and messed up in a friendship. I've also had some that I had no idea why that friendship went south. I've battled with some of that and struggled with some relationships at certain times Maybe you've experienced a failed friendship. Maybe you've experienced even a betrayal. Whenever we experience that, it's, it's difficult to move forward when you've had a relational letdown in some kind of way. So we're looking at David. And what you'll find is that David, because he was a person, had relationships and friendships. And he had struggles in his friendships as much as written in the Psalms about that very thing. In fact, just a couple of quick things before we get into 1 Samuel. David wrote this in the Psalms. He wrote, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. David understood some betrayal. And then another Psalm, he says, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. He goes on and he says, I could have hidden from them. But then he says this, instead, it is you my equal, my companion, and say it with me, my close friend. David understood relational letdown. He says, what good fellowship we once had. We once enjoyed that. And look at where they even enjoyed that fellowship as we walked together to the house of God. Failed friendships happen in churches. Failed friendships happen in life groups. 
right? And I actually, whenever I read that, I feel a little bit better because I've, I've looked and I've wondered, man, what is wrong with me? Why do I sometimes struggle in some of my friendships at certain times? And, and you know, and I felt some relational disappointment. It also helps me to think about this. And if you're struggling with that today, to know that Jesus had people, as Jesus was perfect, he had people that betrayed him. He had people that let him down. Jesus understood rejection. Jesus understood failed friendship and how some who walked out on him. So when this happens, our natural reaction, this is common, I've done this, you've probably done this, is to, is to build walls. It's to determine, you know what, I'm not letting anybody else in. And I did that for a period of time. I, I thought, you know, I'm just not going to take another risk. I'm going to even limit my conversations to staying superficial. Some of you know what I'm talking about where you can do that, but, but I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna take a risk of getting hurt again in a certain way. We protect ourselves. We wanna guard our emotions. But as I was kind of thinking about some of these, these flawed friendships I've had in the past and some of the failures, and I, again, sometimes that was my fault. There were other times where I, don't, I still don't even know what I did. I'm like, what happened? What happened there? And I've, I've you know, tried to make things right. And, and, and you know, it's just been interesting to kind of look back on that. So this week I was thinking about how I was going to talk about that. And what we were going to discuss is we look at David and we see some friendships in his life. And, and then I was, I was kind of thinking, what's the angle I'm going to take? And, and I felt like the Lord was giving me a word. I was working out. I was at a time where I pray a lot. I'm thinking a lot. And as I was working out, I felt like God had a word for me. And here's the word for me, and it's the word for you. I truly have no control over how people respond to me. I, I don't have any control over my relationships in the sense of, I can't make anybody like me. I can't control how people respond. I can't make people be my friend. I can't, and this has been a hard one in my life too, I can't even, I can't stop people that I've loved and who I've been friends with from getting sick and dying because some of you have experienced that kind of loss. And that's tough. As, as that was something that I mourned in my own life. I, I don't have control over this. I felt like the Lord was saying that because you don't have control over this, I can't control how many true friends I have. And I do have some true friends that I am so grateful for. But I can't control how many true friends I have and what other people do, right? And, and I'm not talking about those who are just acquaintances on social media. I'm talking about a true friend that we're about to unpack a little and see what that looked like. I can't control it, but here is what I felt like God was saying to me, and I feel like he wants you to take this too. You can't control any of this, but this is what you can do. You and I, we both, we can commit. We can commit to being a faithful friend to the people who are in our lives. That's what you can do. That's what you can do walking out of this place today. I can't control what others do to me, how they treat me, if they've rejected me. But I will commit to saying, God, will you go to work on me and teaching me how to be that kind of friend? Because I know this, that there are a lot of people that need that kind of friend in their life. 
Church, I'm telling you, as I started thinking about this, like it's like it flipped the script for me in this. Because as you talk about loneliness, it's really easy for us to turn all of our attention onto ourselves and we start feeling and thinking only about ourselves. And, and I'm not saying that there's not a time for that. There is a time for that, okay? But here's the thing. There's a moment in David's life where somebody decided to start investing in him. Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 God gives Samuel a word that says, you have mourned long enough for Saul. In other words, from what has been in the past, yes, we should mourn things when there's loss, but there's a point where he says, you've got to take your eyes off of everything in the past, and you've got to start looking forward. He said, you've mourned Saul long enough, I want you to start investing in David. I want you to take your eyes off the past and I want you to get your eyes open about who are the people that God has put in your life right now. Who needs you? Who needs you to step up and to be the kind of friend? There, there are different kinds of folks who are here this morning. You may be a person who you have several really good friends and I praise God for you in that and what you should do today is thank God for true friends in your life because you need to know that it's rare. We have fewer friends today than we did 25 years ago. It's interesting um, that, again, part of those studies, true, true, true friends, uh, we just don't have as many today, even though we're more connected than ever. So be thankful for that. If you have great friends, I want to challenge you to do something today. Don't wait till they get sick or you get sick to tell them what they mean to you. You can walk out of here today and you could, you could let them know why and how thankful you are for the friendship that they have. Now, some of you, you're, you're rolling through your mind right now and you're having a hard time coming up with somebody. So you may be someone who's surrounded by over a thousand people who will be here today, but you maybe are one that's feeling lonely today. And, and you're struggling with that. Maybe you're feeling lonely because you're busy and you're trying to get the kids everywhere. You're trying to do everything that, you, that, that life is happening and, and just, you know, and it's, it's easy to get preoccupied and it's easy not to have people. Maybe it's that you've also just, you're lonely because you've been hurt. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been burned. Wherever you find yourself today, I really feel like the word for us today is this. We can't control others, but we want to get our eyes up. We want to start noticing others. I, I want to mobilize our leaders, our pastors. We want to mobilize this church. That's you. It's not the building to go out of this place and to notice people everywhere that we're going and to see them the way that God sees them and to love them the way that God loves them. So let me ask you this. Who is God putting in your path that needs you to be? A good friend. You see, we're flipping it from, I need good friends. Yes, I do. You do. We all, we, we all need that. We want that. But, but, but what if we mobilize this church? We said a while back, I want to see this church be great shepherds of this community. What if we mobilize this church for all of us to go out of here and to really notice people and to love people like a good friend does? What would that begin to look like in our community and in our culture, right, if we lived with that mentality? Now, as we've been looking at David, what we discover is that there was a time in David's life where David was a part of a dynamic duo also. Just like we saw some of those duos, David had a dynamic partner as well, a great friendship. 
and David wrote many psalms about loneliness, and he struggled with some of these friendships. But there was a point where David had a friend in his life that God brought as this great encouragement to him. He was a man by the name of Jonathan. Now, David also had a relationship with the current king who was Saul, and he was very loyal to Saul, and, and Saul had already been rejected by God, but, but here, is, here is what we want to ask ourselves today. What kind of friend am I? As we look at this, begin to kind of see what, who you more align with. Are you more like Saul, or are you more like Jonathan and David? Let me give you some context of what's going on in David's life. Remember in the first week we talked about David was anointed by Samuel. He was this young teenager at this point. He, he didn't have what others would have thought. He wasn't the one that everyone would have picked, right? He got skipped over, passed over. He ends up being anointed. Next, we end up seeing... Uh, the, the next part of the story is he, he ends up slaying Goliath. And, and as he does this, this great, this, now as he is the, the king who is, or as Saul is the king who is still in place, David is the king in waiting. And now Saul's still king. Saul has sons. And one of those sons is Jonathan, who would have been the eldest, who would have been the heir apparent. Now, I want you to start kind of thinking about this. This is the way things work. The oldest son of the king would have been the next one in, in, in line. Now, but what we end up seeing is David goes back to, to doing his thankless job of shepherding. He ends up stepping up. Saul doesn't step up to slay Goliath. He steps up and, and he fights Goliath. And, and now Saul, as many within Israel are excited about David, Saul even brings him into his inner circle. David is not only a great warrior, he's a great musician. He plays the harp, all right? He is a shepherd. He has slain the giant. David is the most interesting man in the world, all right? You've got to be one bad cat to be a harp player and to be the mightiest warrior at the same time. But this is what we find. David starts being elevated. People start just are attracted to his leadership and the kind of man that he is. He gains this almost like rock star status. He comes back from a battle and the, and the girls are swooning and screaming over him as he comes in. And they're saying this and Saul's even applauding him, right? We have David. And, and the girls are saying this, Saul has killed his thousands. Saul's like, that's right, I have. But David, his tens of thousands. Saul's like, what did y'all just say? What? There was something that like clicked in Saul's mind at this moment that this young man is now a threat to me and to my throne. So his fondness of David begins to turn into jealous paranoia. Ultimately, as we'll read, into a murderous hate. In spite of his rise to fame, David finds himself, instead of it being a great time, he finds himself in one of the most difficult times in his life because this relationship that he had with the king, with Saul, now all of a sudden goes south. And now he's trying to navigate, what do I do in this, this relationship that's now failing? I can't control other people. He couldn't control Saul. Samuel couldn't control Saul. Now, if you read his story in the midst of this relationship that goes south with Saul, what you're going to see is that David remains loyal. He stays loyal to the king, even though he's already been anointed as the next king. 
But this, this loyalty doesn't pacify Saul. Saul is not only going to start like snubbing David, it goes beyond this. Now he's going to take a contract out and try to have David taken out. Now it's turned into murder, plotting of murder. So David has this failed friendship with Saul, and he's, and he's wondering what in the world has happened. David was surrounded by people who were singing his praises in one moment, and then they were stabbing him in the back in the next. Have you ever experienced that? People would, David would have had a huge social media following. He would have had thousands of friends online. But as he continued in this, he experienced multiple two-faced friendships. One minute he's the hero, next he's the zero. But it was during this period in David's life that God showed faithfulness in his love by bringing a man who was a true friend into his life, a man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan walked in while others were walking out. Jonathan was the kind of person and friend that everyone needs. Jonathan is the kind of friend that we all really should strive like to be like him. David had defeated Goliath. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. He's standing before Saul, and it says this about their introduction. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. I started digging in on this. What, what was this love based upon? What was this? It was this kindred spirit of being a courageous warrior. If you go back a, a couple of chapters to chapter 14, you find that Jonathan was also a mighty warrior. He, he fought valiantly for the kingdom of Israel and had a great victory as well. But here's what we begin to discover. It goes on, it says, from that day, verse 2, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. His days of shepherding were over. Now Saul wanted him in his inner court. Jonathan made a solemn pact, that actually translates a, a covenant, with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David. I'll talk about that in a sec, what that, what that means. And together with his, with his tunic, with his sword, with his bow, and, and his belt. So there's some powerful things for us to kind of look at in, in what was happening in the kind of friend that Jonathan was. But here's what we need to do. We need to assess the kind of friend we really are. How does that apply to us today? There are faces of a faithful friend, and this isn't an exhausting, exhaustive list, but here's some faces of a faithful friend. This is what we see in Jonathan, what we see in his life, and something for us to strive toward as well. A faithful friend, here's what they do. They demonstrate selfless humility. A faithful friend is selfless, not selfish. They, they think about others, they're concerned with others, and they're incredibly humble. We see this so evident in Jonathan in his response to David. David was one of these kinds of guys. It's like everything that he was doing at this point in his life, God's favor was upon him. He was getting promoted. He was rising in the ranks. Everything he touched was turning to gold. It was one success right after another. Maybe that's you, maybe you've known somebody like this, and it's usually in times like this that people, we end up finding out what they're really made of. You end up seeing jealousy, you end up seeing pride, you see all kinds of things that begin to work into people's lives. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of integrity. So what starts happening? People start having this affection for him. People start loving him. People are attracted to the kind of leader that he was. People all around David started loving 
David and Saul even benefited from David's leadership. But Saul, Saul, this is when he began to become literally just insanely jealous of David. David was threatening his kingdom. David was threatening his lineage. David was threatening his throne just by his success. What we end up seeing is this this ugliness in Saul's life, this jealousy that turns into this murderous hatred. And it's been said that jealousy is the ugliest of all human features. So therefore, the absence of jealousy is truly a beautiful thing when you see that at work, when you see there are two who are working together. The absence of jealousy is exactly what we see in Jonathan. Now, when you look at Jonathan and the position that he was in as the king's son, as the one who was the heir apparent, you would have thought in this me-first world that this is the kind of mentality that Jonathan would have been one of David's greatest enemies, but we don't see this. The scripture tells us that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. I believe Jonathan must have truly walked close with God. Jonathan believed in the kingdom of God. Jonathan believed in the things of God and he recognized the favor of God and the blessing of God upon David. He saw that David had this authentic relationship as a man after God's own heart. I love that Jonathan saw greatness in David and encouraged it and didn't try to try to kill it. He encouraged it. What does this tell me about Jonathan? Jonathan must have been this man who was so secure in who he was, and he was able, therefore, to celebrate the success of others. One of the reasons we get jealous is because we have such insecurity about understanding who we really are in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with jealousy today, it's because you haven't quite understood how much God has loved you how much God has done for you, how much God has sacrificed for you. And and so you're trying to control and manipulate whatever's happening in that relationship. But Jonathan was at a place of realizing that his life was in the sovereign God's hands. You look at Jonathan in earlier passages, you see that he was a great warrior. You see that he loved the kingdom of God. He and David loved the same things there. I believe that Jonathan was in this place of realizing that God was moving and he wasn't going to get in the way of this. Jonathan makes a solemn covenant with David. By the way, this covenant that he makes is a unilateral covenant. It wasn't a two-way covenant. It was Jonathan saying, I'm going to covenant with you. Whether you do with me or not, I'm going to covenant with you, and I'm going to see you rise. So he ends up doing something very interesting. This crown prince of Israel takes off his royal robe, and he gives it more than just a ceremony. He literally hands it over to David. In humility and selflessness. This wasn't just a personal, nice, generous gesture. It was symbolic of this throne of Israel that is being empowered and he's yielding to David. In this unilateral covenant, he's in essence saying this, David, this is the kind of friend I am to you. I'm the kind of friend that, you, that I see greatness in you. I'm going to encourage this in you. I'm going to, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to be loyal to you. I'll even give you my royal robe and the other royal items, items that I have to ratify this friendship with you. This is so antithetical to the kind of world that we live in. Do you know what this looks like? It looks like Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus is, right, with us. Paul writes about this, about this kind of 
humility that, that does away with our personal agendas. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let's just say it all out loud. Say it with me. Don't be. I mean, he's clear. Stop the selfishness. Stop thinking of only yourself. I like this part. Don't try to impress others. In other words, stop being so insecure. Realize who you are in Jesus. You're a son of God. Whether you're in a place of leadership or not, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You were loved enough that he, and worthy enough to him that he, that he gave his only son to die for you. Now, we're sinners, but he loved us enough to do this for us. He goes on and he says, be humble. D quit thinking about your image. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Humility, it's been said, is, is this. It's not thinking less of yourself and not having good esteem. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's that you think of others more than you think of yourself. And what does God do with the humble? He elevates the humble. And those who are prideful, what does he do? He brings the prideful down. And so he says, flip this around. Be humble. Think of others more than you think of. This is what it means to be this kind of friend. And then he's going to commission us to this. You, believer, must have the same attitude that Jesus had. This same attitude, the way Jesus carried himself. If you keep reading in that passage in Philippians, it starts talking about how Jesus gave up his rights, gave up the throne, abdicated his throne, came, became one of us, lived, died, and, 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 and for us so that we could be in relationship. He did all of this so that we could be elevated, so that we could be back in relationship with God. This is the kind of friendship that Jesus has extended to us. This is the kind of friendship that Jonathan extended to David. Jesus said, no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so oftentimes we think that that is a physical laying down of the life, and it very well could be. But how many times in a day could we lay down our lives for our friends by dying to self and determining that this, this isn't just about me? The Make-A-Wish Foundation has been granting wishes to children with critical illnesses since 1980. And most commonly, whenever they do this, a child will want to go to, and rightfully so, will want to go to Disney World or they'll want to meet a celebrity. But there was one nine-year-old by the name of Max Schulist. He had a brain tumor that had debilitated him physically. And instead of wanting to do something just for himself, Mac had asked that this be his wish and that it be fulfilled, and that was that there was a rock climbing wall that all of his friends at his elementary school got to experience, and that was his wish. And so the community came together, and they built this great rock climbing wall, and Dave Ness was the principal of this, of this elementary, and he said this. He said, we learned a lesson from a nine-year-old that even when we're going through tough times, we should be thinking of other people and not ourselves. That's powerful. That's hard not to do. Mac passed away the day after he got to see his friends climb on that wall. And his wish was fulfilled. One of his friends said this, every time I see that wall, I think of what my friend Mac did for us. That's the kind of friendship Jesus offers us. That's how Jonathan was with David. It's a selfless humility. We all, let's be honest, we all need those kinds of friends, but... You know what I also know? There are people all around us that need us to be that kind of friend to them. 
to live in selfless humility. Here's another thing that we see about this kind of friend, a face of friendship is one who loyally advocates. Are you more of an accuser or an advocate? This is something the Lord's been really challenging me with these last six months, or excuse me, these last three months as I've been thinking about this. Am I more like the, the enemy who is known as the accuser or am I more like Jesus who is the advocate? Do I speak well of others? Do, do I guard the things that comes out of my mouth? Do I say things that are, that are pleasing to the Lord and that build others up? 1 Samuel chapter 19, as you flip a, a page there, the story continues to go on. The drama continues to build in this relationship. Saul has had it with David, and it says Saul now urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, Told, he told David what was going on, the scheme that had been hatched against him and, and what his father was planning. He's going to begin to advocate for David. You're going to see loyalty going to begin to step in for this friendship, even to the extent that he tells his own father, Dad, what you're doing is wrong. It's sinful. This is loyal advocacy. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying, look, many good things about him. You have to know that this was not a popular thing to do. He speaks up. The king must not sin against his servant. He's your servant, dad. David, Jonathan said, he's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way that he could. He's humble. He's a servant. Have you forgotten about the time? Now, this was a jab a little bit here. Have you forgotten about the time that he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? By the way, that should have been you. And how the Lord brought a great victory in all of Israel. As a result, you were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for this at all. So he began to advocate for him. He began to speak well of him. Even when others wouldn't do this, he speaks up. He calls his dad out in this sinful attitude. Now, at this point, Saul actually relents. David comes back in. But there's this pattern of jealousy that is in Saul's life, and it happens all over again. Now, as a result of Jonathan advocating for David, those of you who will advocate for others, this is sometimes as part of laying our life down, you should know that Jonathan, his own father, tried to take him out because he was so angry. Sometimes when we advocate for others, the people that we are kind of calling out will turn their anger off of that other person, and sometimes the anger will be turned towards us. Maybe you've experienced that, experienced that. He protects David. I urge you to read the rest of chapter 20. I don't have time to get into that today, but it's a picture of loyalty. You're going to see this kind of advocacy that he has. A, a true friend is a loyal defender before others. He or she advocates for others. A true friend won't talk down about you when you're not there. And here's what a true friend will also do. They will stop others when they are doing it. Are you that kind of friend? Because you need to know it takes courage to do that. And it may not be popular when you decide to step in and say it's not right whenever it's going on at the office and people are running others down. And you step in. You may end up becoming the one that 
people get upset with, well, what did Jonathan have to do? He had to know that his life was in the hands of his heavenly father. And trust this. So here's what we see. We see thirdly that another face of a faithful friend is one who welcomes authenticity. And what I mean by this is you see, if you follow the story in chapter 20, you see that Jonathan comes to David. He tells him, look, man, my dad is... He's had it with you. He's coming after you. We need to work something out to get you out of here so you don't get killed. David was so hurt by this failed, this failed relationship with Saul, it tells us that he wept. This warrior, this one who was the giant killer, was now, he was so emotionally hurt by this betrayal by Saul. It says that he wept, but you know, what you'll also find is that his friend Jonathan, he doesn't just say, just buck up, man, what's your problem? What you're going to find is you read is that they had this time together where they were both mourning this loss. It says that they wept together. Two warriors, two menly, these menly kind of men who are comfortable enough in one another's presence, here's what it is, to be real. We all need somebody we can be real with. Where you don't worry about what others are going to think. You got to be secure in yourself. You got to be this selfless kind of person that thinks about others. To be like Jonathan, to be like Jesus. And are you the kind of person that, that people can relax around you? They're not worried about being judged. They just let you... You just let them be themselves, right? Here's another and final thing that we look at. And there's a lot of other things that we could pull out, but this is what I noticed mostly. We see that another face of a true friend, a faithful friend, is one that you are intentionally an encourager in other people's lives. You, like, are intentional about this. David listened to Jonathan. He goes out into the wilderness. Now, David could have stayed and probably rallied a rebellion against Saul. God's hand was on him, right? He could have probably tried to get people to overthrow Saul, but he listens to, da to Jonathan. He goes out into the cave. David has to, at some point, be in this dark cave, running for his life, thinking, I am the... I'm the next in line to be king. God, what in the world is going on here? Now I'm running for my life. There had to have been great moments of discouragement in the dark places. But look at what the next passage says as we skip ahead to 1 Samuel 23. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and to kill him. David must be going, is this ever going to end? This guy will not let it go. Verse 16, though. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. He says this to him. Don't be afraid. Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. In the ESV, it actually says this, that Jonathan rose up and went to where David was in the darkness. That he went to him. Question for you today. As you begin to think about the kind of friend that you are, right? That's all we can do. Is there somebody that God would put on your heart today that you need to rise up, be a friend, 
and go to them as perhaps they need a word of encouragement. Maybe they're not in a dark cave, but they're in a dark place. And you encourage them in the Lord and come alongside them in the Lord. You see, true friends, a lot of times it's good to say something, but many times it's good just to show up and to shut up. But you show up. And you're faithful to be there in those difficult times. This, all of this is a picture. When we look at Jonathan and David, it's all a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of how Jesus is and was with us. The scripture says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, that is Jesus. And Jesus made it possible for us to enter into friendship with him because of his death on the cross. I want to just invite you into prayer with me as we close this time of studying God's word. If you've never come into this friendship that God so wonderfully offers you, it comes, as Danny read in Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace, through faith. It's not how often you go to church. It's not the good works you do. Those are good things, but that's not what makes us in right relationship with God. The thing that puts us in right relationship with God is our faith in Jesus, who was the friend who laid his life down for us. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, today I urge you not to leave this room without accepting the friendship that God is offering you through his son. You might pray something like this to the Lord right now. If you'd like to step across that line and invite Christ to be your savior and your Lord, Just say something like this to him. It's not the words you say. It's a condition of your heart and the repentance and the humility as you come before him and you say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God and that you died for my sins. That you've been raised from the dead. Lord, I'm a sinner that needs a savior. And today, I humbly ask you to forgive me of my sin and to become my savior. Thank you, Jesus, for being the kind of true friend that lays his life down so that I could be elevated into relationship with God. Would you help me to learn, to grow, to be more like you in my relationships with others? Church, you individually were made to be a Jonathan to somebody. You can't control the amount of friends you have, but you can walk out of here. You can do something with what you've heard today. We want to mobilize you to be the kind of friend like Jonathan that somebody needs. Who needs your attention today? Let God speak to your heart. Who needs a word of encouragement? Could be your spouse. Could be, a, could be one of your kids. Could be a person you work with. Maybe a neighbor could be a fellow church member that is struggling. God's calling you to be a Jonathan in their life. So Lord, thank you again. We bless your name. We glorify you, Lord. Teach us to be more like Jesus. In your name I pray.